Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, welcome back once again. Hopefully you guys did the challenge from last week. Hopefully some of these challenges you guys are doing. I love it when a guy tells me that they heard the challenge, did the challenge, and how in some way, shape, or form it bettered their life. So love that you guys are doing that. So it is now time for the Apple podcast review of the week. And this one is really, really cool. I've been excited to read this one for a while. So this one is from Anna Gabriel Mann. You may have seen an episode out there. Uh, She's the co-author of the book, The Go-Giver Marriage, and her husband is John David Mann, co-author of The Go-Giver Marriage and also the original The Go-Giver and The Go-Giver series. So really, really cool that this review came in. So her title is, I love this podcast, five-star review. It's rare to find a more humble and earnest person than Dan Lewis. His podcast always features interesting guests and thought-provoking conversations about how we can guide our families and be a leader that your children will learn from and your family will be stronger for. Dan brings leadership to life, whether it's at home or at work. Don't miss this podcast. It's awesome. Well, thank you, Anna. I really, really appreciate that. And I appreciate every single Apple podcast or Audible or Amazon review of the week. So I appreciate all the feedback you guys are sending in via email or, uh, or the reviews. And the email that I hardly ever mention is the Christian dad podcast at gmail.com. So look forward to hearing from you. And with that said, we've got a interesting topic this week. I didn't do a ton of show prep for this one because I didn't want to, I wanted this conversation to be as real and authentic. And this is the first real pass at some of the stuff we're going to cover. Our guest today is Neil Getzlow, and his book is called Unmasked, Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. So with that kind of setup, that's all we got. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a big, long, big, long intro here. So whatever you hear is totally unscripted. We didn't have like a pre-talk before. So with that said, Neil, welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Happy to have you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to your review um, that you just read. Like, wow, I'm like humbled to be here because I know some of the guests that you've had on your show previously. And so uh, I'm just, I feel very blessed to be here and be able to share my testimony with, with your audience and talk about a subject that we don't talk a lot about or enough about, I should say. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, guys, certainly it don't just say, hey, buddy, let me talk to you about something. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't happen that way. No, not at all. So tell us a little bit about your background real quick. Where'd you come from and yeah. how'd you get here? And, you know, just whatever, whatever you want to share. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually grew up in St. Louis, went through high school in St. Louis and then moved to Kansas City to go to KU, get a journalism degree and wanted to be a news reporter, TV reporter specifically. And uh, did that for like three months and just 
you know, realized there wasn't any money involved in that career at the time. I think that industry has changed a little bit now, but at the time there's no money. So I was like, all right, I'm going to find something else to do and bounce between advertising agencies and in communication, corporate communication functions, considered myself a, worked in the PR industry communication field for my entire career almost. Been in Kansas City now most of my life. I'd say I've lived in Kansas City now for 30 years and St. Louis 20 years. So now I consider Kansas City my home. Do have some family still in St. Louis and have uh, my wife, Amy, here. It's my second marriage that we have between us. We have five boys. Wow. Uh, they're all 18 and above, which is good. So they're not all with us. We only have one left in the house. So that's not quite as crazy as, as it used to be. And they're all in various stages of adulthood. Some are doing well, others have failed to launch. So we'll, you know, continuing to guide them the best that we can. So that's kind of how, where my background is. Now I left out the big, the big undercurrent <laughs> kind of, well, that's the, the good stuff, right? Uh, but my, uh, how I ended up talking to you and, and writing a book is that I had a, a lifelong addiction to pornography and that, that I just was able, thanks to the, the power of, of Jesus and the forgiveness of my wife and the encouragement of, of this church I now am a part of, I was able to kick that two years ago, kicked it to the curb and haven't looked back and it's changed my life. And I, when, so and I grew up in a very Jewish part of St. Louis in, in West St. Louis County and all my friends were Jewish. My family was Jewish, but like they were, we were only, I would, at least for me, I was only in it for the culture and the food, right? There's something, a cultural piece to being Jewish, but I had no relationship to God. I had no idea what the, I, the Bible was. I didn't start reading the Bible until two years ago. When, when all of my, uh, my sins kind of came unmasked, if you will. But that, that, that addiction to pornography started way back as a little kid in St. Louis. There was an elementary school that was like just literally like 100 steps behind my house. And behind that school, there was a forest. And it was nicknamed the Playboy Forest. So I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s. That's where I sort of, you know, my maturity happened. So at nine years old, we ride our bikes to this forest behind our school and there'd be this little hollowed eyed area and on the ground and in the trees, there'd just be pages of ripped up Playboy magazine. And that's where we first got exposed to pornography. And from that moment on, it just, it just grabbed hold of me and it just didn't let go. And it just, it just stayed with me for my entire life. And it, it ebbed and it flowed. And some days, sometimes it was a huge distraction. Other days it wasn't, but it also led to, as most addictions do, led to more dangerous activity and things that, um, you know, that pushed me farther and farther away from God and, and closer and closer to, to hell. And so, but you think about, also think about the time that we were living in back then, you know, no cell phones, no computers, so literally like porn was like, whenever you uncovered, it was like this, you know, golden moment of, oh, this is, but this is what always boys did. You know, you'd go, you'd go play with your next door neighbor and you'd go play outside. And then the first thing you ask when you get inside the house, where's your dad's porn stash? And you'd go scavenge the closets, look around and open drawers until you discovered it. And that, I mean, that's just, it was just part of 
you know, it was part of the culture. I, I like to say like my childhood was seduced by the culture starting way back at nine, being exposed to that sex, those sexual so, images. So nine years old. Yeah. And part of the, the nine-year-old group you hung out with was, hey, cool, nobody's home or they're distracted. Let's go find your dad's porn stash. Yeah. And I have, but yeah, absolutely. And I would also say for me too. So it was about that time that my parents got divorced and my moved in with my mom who then became a working mom. So she was working 40 hours a week. So especially in the summers, I was actually alone a lot. And this is, you know, so I will say I credit God first and foremost every day for breaking me from this addiction but I also had to take some steps and talk to a professional therapist to understand why I had this addictive behavior that was causing so much trouble. And, um, you know, just, just trying to work on my mental health. And the, the very first time I met him, he asked me, he said, Neil, what's the first thing you had to remember learning how to do as a little kid? And I was like, wow, that is a very profound question. And then the answer was even more illuminating for me because I had to learn how to be alone. And that was, that was a theme for my entire life. I had this hole in my heart that I could never fill. And I was alone and feeling unloved. Mm. And it was this shame cycle that started at the age of nine. I'd look at this porn. I would feel better for a little bit. Then I'd instantly feel guilty. And I think to myself, oh, this is why nobody loves me. This is why I'm alone. And it would just, the cycle would just continue. And what was the question that was asked again? What, what was the first thing I had to learn to do when I was a little kid? And I had to okay. learn how to, I had to learn how to be alone. And that wasn't like a divorce. Like it wasn't first thing you had to learn after the divorce. It was just first thing you had to learn as a little kid. And that was your answer. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and you know, so like my, my siblings, I have three older siblings, but they, they were all much older. So by the mm -hmm. time I, you know, got to an age of, you know, wanting to hang out with them, they were already gone and out of the house. And I will also say that the other thing that sort of fueled this was that, um, so again, my mom's home alone on either side of her bed were these two nightstands and on each of these nightstands were these stacks of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. I'm 11 years old alone for an entire summer, basically no other kids around just got cable TV in the house. Now I'm watching MTV. I, I like I said, I was alone. And I had this, I felt I needed something to fill me up. And that's what I did. And that's, and that's what I used to medicate myself going forward for my entire life was porn and sex. Mm. I bring up kind of the, the age and the question and guys, what's around your house? What are you allowing to remain? Maybe you've turned the page. Maybe you've you know, gotten to a point in your life where everything's pretty good, but what's in the closet? What's in that nightstand? What's underneath the bed? What's, what's in your house? What's on the tablet that you're not paying attention to? What's somebody else sticking in your house through the internet that you're not aware of? Man, this is a pretty, like not a pretty real subject. This is an absolute massive subject. So at nine, Neil gets exposed to it. At what age do you think our kids get exposed to this? So our house is crystal clean, but yet at the same time, if they've got access to something internet related, even the school tablets, even the school 
the, that Microsoft thing they get it from the school and all that stuff. Sometimes those things don't have any filters on them whatsoever. I, I recently was talking to a public school and they didn't have any filters for kids as low as uh, kindergarten. Hmm. Here's your, here's your electronic device with full access to the internet. No guardrails. Have fun. Yeah. As I was doing research for the book, the, um, the average age that a, a, a child is first exposed to pornography is at the age of 11. And so it's, it's, and especially nowadays, right? Again, when we were growing up, didn't have access to the cell phones and to computers and laptops and iPads and all that stuff. Now it's, it's everywhere. And it's, you may, your house may be clean, but how do you know that a friend isn't going to, the friend of your child isn't going to link something, send them a text, send them an email, pull up their own phone that, that maybe they have and show it to them. I mean, it's, it's just, it's right there for, for everyone to see. And it, it does harm, you know, and I know I've been on a road, yeah. you know, stoplights kind of thing and looked over and went, Oh, wow. On the screen that they've got in their vehicle, mm. there's porn video going and I've got Seriously. kids in my car. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, Gosh. it's such a common, you know, even I hear people on airplanes, like, Oh, I looked at whatever the guy next to me had going. Yeah. You know? A laptop flipped open with a full straight up porn video going. So yeah, it's everywhere right now. It is, it is. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I want to, I'm, I'm very public about my testimony is because I do want people to understand like it is, it's harmful. And not only to, I think it's harmful for our culture and for our kids to be exposed to this, but I'm just thinking about what it did to me for over 40 years of my life. What did it feel like? You say what it did to you, what did that feel like for 40 years? I felt on one hand, like I didn't realize it was that bad for me, right? I just thought this is what everybody does. So it's okay. As I sit here though, now as someone who's a believer and has been saved in the past couple of years, I can look back and think, wow, what, what, how the enemy was pulling the blinds down over my eyes for so long, because if I look back, I look back at the relationships I had as a teenager a lot of them were just, I equated love and sex because again, remember I didn't, that was part of my, part of my own stigma, my own, you know, my own challenges with my mental health. I didn't think I was loved. So I'd look at the porn and the sex and thought that that was love. And so that's how I treated my relationships. And if the sex wasn't very good or wasn't happening, I didn't think they loved me. And so I moved on. And it just, again, it just kind of spiraled. That's, there was no intimacy in my relationships. It was, I was, my, my brain was rewired. I didn't know how to treat a woman because again, I I thought it was about just sex. And I thought that if, if what I was seeing on the screen wasn't happening in my own bedroom and in my own life, that something's wrong. And I, I moved on. And so I, I mean, I'm sure I threw away so many relationships and, and hurt a lot of people along the way, because it was just, I'd fill up, have my, I'd fill my heart up with this sex thinking it was love, but that only lasts for so long, your heart gets depleted again. And if you just find something else that you have to, to medicate yourself with. And so ultimately that as I got older and had access to more money when I got a job, that kind of thing, like, that, that soon the pornography itself wasn't enough. 
I needed more. I needed something else. And as I got money, then it became strip clubs and adult theaters. And, but soon that wasn't enough. I needed the real thing. And ultimately this, this addiction led me to what I'm, I call an addiction to prostitution and, and paying women to have sex with me. And it was, it was something that I knew was wrong. I knew that it was hurting my family. I couldn't stop it. It's just, I would have these encounters and I would walk out of the hotel room and I, on, on the way to the car, I'd be thinking constantly, I am never doing this again. I can't believe I did this. I'm never doing it again. I'm never doing it again. And on the way home, I'm never doing it again. And then probably the next day, it's already back on my mind. I've kind of forgotten about what I did. I forgot about the commitment I just made to myself. And it's just the, the addiction then just kind of sits there waiting for the next time to strike. And whether it was my anxiety, depression, whatever it was, would trigger it. It would trigger this need to go and act out in an incredibly horrific way. Mm. It sounds like you were married during this time also. Yeah. Some of, uh, yeah. So I, this is my second marriage to my wife, current wife, Amy, and my first wife did end in a divorce and it was ended because I had an affair. So that's where, you know, you could see where the problems kind of where the pornography and, and the strip clubs can lead you down the road, the wrong path. It's interesting though, but as I had this time between my first wife and Amy, the pornography addiction sort of eased up a little bit, I would say. Like there wasn't this constant need mm -hmm. to, to look at it, but I was having this constant series of one night stands. Just, and it was just, you know, just being with random people that I would meet online, wasn't paying them necessarily. I was single at the time, but I was trying to look at, this is a whole, a lifelong struggle up until a couple of years ago, trying to fill my heart up with love. And I was filling it up with all the wrong things because I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to be in an intimate relationship with someone. And so, you know, ultimately that, and then when I met my wife, Amy, we both were not believers at the time. She, she grew up Catholic, so she probably had more of a knowledge of, of God and of Jesus than I did, but she was not practicing, wasn't really truly a believer, wasn't saved. And obviously I was Jewish. And, and actually, in all honesty, I was atheist, right? Like I just didn't believe. I thought we're here, we die, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, but three months after we got married, uh, our life changed. And because we had been out, we would go out drinking and partying. We were living a really good life, enjoying all the sins that the world had to offer. And we get married. And then three months after we get married, Amy tells me she has found Jesus and she's now a born again Christian. Oh, wow. So now imagine my surprise when three months into this brand new marriage, my wife is now in a relationship with Jesus, someone as a Jew. And I did again, not I yes. Jew, I'll use quotes on that. But someone who's who was taught, you do not go past the Old Testament, even if you read the Bible, right? I mean, that's just was was just ingrained into our culture and into my head. You don't go to Jesus, right? Right. So, so what 
what that moment in time did, and I guess I will say, like when when this happened, I did what any non-believer would do to another to someone who is a believer, which is I persecuted her. Yeah, you know, and it it triggered this. You know, I blamed Amy for this feeling. Now I felt like I was alone again because now Amy's got this relationship with Jesus, and now now what am I? Because I saw the difference it was making in her life, and I blamed her, and I took it out. I took my feelings out on her, and. I would go out and party with my friends, leaving her home alone all the time. And I would turn to pornography and I would then turn ultimately that pornography turned to paying women to have sex with me. And so probably for the better part of six, we were coming up on 10 years of marriage, probably for six of those years, I was acting out and doing all these things. I mean, it was, I don't know how else to describe it, but abuse, it wasn't physical abuse. It was mental abuse. I, I didn't know how to communicate. We had no real, you know, no intimate communication, no deep communication. And so the fact that she stayed for that long and prayed for me to get saved mm. for eight years is like that, like Amy is this, the key to this whole story uh, in, in believing in Jesus and, and following that faith and spirit to stay in a situation where she knew something was going on and, and to pray for me to get saved is unbelievable. That is a long time to endure. Yeah, it is. It is. There is good news to all this. We've got to get through a little bit more ugly stuff before we get to the good stuff. Okay. But this, this all came to kind of came to a, a conclusion in February through April of 2020. And so all this addiction, all this, Pornography and prostitution led me to a hotel room in Chicago on a business trip in February, end of February uh, 2020, where I set up an arrangement to meet someone, went to her hotel room, took care of business. As I was getting ready to leave, uh, this is where I like to say that God decided to um, step in and intervene in my life for the first time. As I'm getting ready to leave, the other bedroom door for this hotel room opens up in this rather large looking man looked like a line offensive lineman from the Chicago bears comes out and he's holding his cell phone in his hand. And I see on the cell phone, it has Amy's picture and her social media accounts and her contact information. He's like, you're going to have to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. And so that's one of those moments where you're just like, okay, what is like, I put myself in some pretty dangerous spots before, but I'd never felt like anything was going to happen. This is the first time I'm thinking, all right, this, this could be the end right here. So I'm doing whatever I can to get out of the room. Like I'm slowly backing up to the door and I'm like sending them money through cash app because I sent him $200 and I'm like, well, you're probably gonna need to send some more. And I sent another $200, got out of the room, probably $900 later, which I consider very lucky, sprinted to the elevator and as I'm, but I'm, as I'm running down the hall, I could hear the door open up behind me and they're saying, Hey, Neil, you're going to have to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. Well, boom, I went, got in the elevator, went on with my day. And this is really why I called my, my story unmasked because I went about my day, had my business meetings. Nobody knew I was just blackmailed by a prostitute. I was able, like I've done my entire life. I was able to stuff everything inside, hide behind this mask. Nobody knew what I had done. Nobody knew where I was. They just looked at me and saw this nice guy, good father, good husband, 
hard worker. They thought of me as this clean cut guy with lurking underneath with this was this evil that I was bringing into my life. I get home from that trip. They hadn't called Amy yet. So I'm thinking, okay, all right. I, they were just trying to get money out of me. They're going to get bored and move on to some other victim. I'll be fine. And then on March 1st, 2020, 9.30 PM at night, I'll never forget this. I'm working in my office and my, my text messages start lighting up again. And it's this couple. And they say, you've got 15 minutes to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. And I just froze, but I was like, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to ignore it because if I keep paying them, they're going to keep asking for money. But if I stop paying them, maybe they'll go away. Well, they decided, yeah, we're bored. So exactly 15 minutes later, I didn't pay him any money. And then I hear the phone rings upstairs and it's, uh, they call Amy and I can just make out a whisper <sighs> of a conversation. And then the bedroom door opens. I hear her come charging down the hallway and she just comes crashing into my office. And she's like, are you cheating on me? And I did what any person in that situation would do. I lied. I no, I've never done this before. I'm being blackmailed. You know, I, I don't ever want to do it again. Those are all lies. I was being blackmailed, but that I had no intention of quitting. I was all I wanted to do was get out of this situation without having my life blown up. And and uh, I was more sorry about getting caught than I was sorry about what I had been doing. Right. So that was the the first time God had visited me, and then. Also keep in mind about two weeks after that COVID hits and we're now locked down together. So oh, I mean, I, both of our jobs were impacted for a few months where we weren't working. And so uh, we are now stuck together trying to figure this out. Even though we had the time, I still hadn't come clean to Amy about everything that I had been doing. She only knew about this one incident. And so I tried as little as possible to discuss it and just, just almost really just ignored it right? Just thinking maybe it would go away on its own. But about six weeks later, this is on April 13th, 2020, I, those addictions that I had in my life, I couldn't contain them anymore. And I had to go set up and meet an appointment to, to go meet someone I had a relationship with in Kansas City. And I did that all through my laptop. I texted her and said, all right, I'm coming out over there. Now, this is where God came time number two. And as soon as I left the house, and I will say, I always like make sure whenever Amy's in the house, I always make sure my computer is locked tight because if she got on my computer and saw all these messages I was sending, she'd be, she'd know what was yeah, going to the yeah. secret. She'd find out about this secret life. So I left the house with that computer locked. And, um, but as soon as I left, she, she ultimately, the computer was unlocked. She was able to get on there screenshotted me everything that I was texting to this oh. woman and now sent them to me saying, what is going on? I was actually on my way to meet my son for dinner before I was going to go meet this other person. And he said, it was probably the most awkward dinner I've ever had with you because you were like a million miles away. And I was like, yeah. And I, and I told, you know, I filled him in on my journey recently, but it, uh, it was, a, it was an interesting dinner, but so of course I didn't make it to that appointment. I, I, I came home and, and, uh, I'm, you know, on the way home, I'm thinking, what am I going to tell Amy now? Like I am, the, the walls are closing in pretty fast and I got home and frankly, I don't remember even what I told her, but Amy was not buying it. Like, why would she right? like, right, this is, right. She's got proof. Yeah. This story is starting to unravel pretty fast. And 
before we went to bed that night, she said, Neil, she's like, your only hope to save this marriage is to ask God for help. That's it. Otherwise we're done. And so the next morning she had already left the house when I woke up, you know, to go just, she wanted to get away from me. And so um, they were alone in bed and I did what I'd never done before. And it's prayed. And I just said, God, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I don't know why you're doing this to me, but I can't break free from, from these addictions. I need your help. You know, give me a sign that help is out there and, and I will, I will follow and I'll, you know, mm-hmm. I will follow you. And as soon as I finish that prayer, the garage door pops up and it's Amy. And really, like I said, Amy is the key to this whole story. So she comes inside and comes upstairs and I tell her, Hey, look, I prayed, you know, I, I really want to work on a marriage. I want to get past this. And, you know, she reluctantly agreed. Uh, she, you know, she felt like she didn't really have a choice at this point, but to try to see, see where this is going. But I know in subsequent conversations with her, I mean, she was there was no way this marriage was coming up off the floor at this point. It was pretty much just buying time until she figured out what she was going to do with, with her kids and where she was going to go. But then finally, finally here that afternoon, we're sitting on the couch talking and now Amy gets a message, instant message off of Facebook. And all it said was, do you know when Neil gets low? And Mm. It turns out that was the ex-boyfriend of another woman that I had been paying, had an arrangement with, and he found all of the receipts on her iPad and was now sending them to Amy. But I, before any of that happened, though, when, when, when she read that message to me, I don't know what it was, but I was absolutely convicted to unload everything, to expose this evil. Finally, it was like, as I describe in the book, it's like I... It kind of felt like I, like you do when you're getting ready to throw up and you can feel your stomach starting to churn and it just works its way up and you can't stop it. It just comes out. And that's how this, that's how this confession oh. was for me. I could feel it churning and I, I wasn't sure what the heck I was doing, but I'm about to tell everything to Amy. And it just came up and it came out. And like I threw up all over the floor of our marriage and instantly, like I felt relief, just like you do when you're sick. Like you felt much better. Like, wow, that was great. <laughs> But then now I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the reaction from Amy. And what happens next changed my life and it, it changed changed our marriage. She she looks up at me and she said, Neil, she's like, Jesus forgave me for my sins. How can I not forgive you for yours? I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a gut punch. Like wow, like it's it, so. Then take this for what it's worth from a, from a former you know atheist from a Jewish background, but. I am fully believe that was Jesus working his will through Amy at that exact moment to say, Neo, I forgive you. And from that moment, the chains of the addictions are, have, were broke. I've not looked at pornography since that time. I have not been tempted to go visit a prostitute at all. Like that old life, it, it, like, and then I started reading the Bible and it's all coming to life in my, in my life. Like that old life that I was leading is gone. It is dead. It's never coming back. I found my identity in Christ and it's, it changed everything. And most importantly, it changed my relationship with Amy. And we now have, I have a, a marriage now that I've always wanted to have. It is amazing 
to, and to know where we came from two years ago to where we are today is, is nothing short of a miracle. And so for, for people out there who, who are believers, but maybe think that maybe God isn't working anymore out here, I'm telling you, God is still working miracles in people's lives because he absolutely created a miracle in my life. There's no reason for, for me, 50-year-old middle-aged guy, as cynical <laughs> as I was, there's no way. Why am I saved? Like, why is, how did this happen to me? So if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. That is amazing. All the stuff you went through and people that haven't gone near nearly through that level of depth and sin and deception and how they feel unworthy to be saved, unworthy of God's love. I can only imagine, you know, you looking back on your history. So how did you come to accept that God Christ has actually forgiven you? Uh, So I will say like, so that, that the moment that Amy forgave me was, and I've got these dates like tattooed in my yeah. head, April 14, 2020, which was a Tuesday. And that following Saturday, we're watching, we just finished watching a movie and I'm just like, I'm curled up in a ball because I am just, I'm feeling all this anxiety and my stomach is hurting. Like it was a truly a battle of spiritual warfare going on. Like I, it was in pain and I couldn't move. And and Amy looked over to me and she's like, what is going on? Like, are you all right? And I said, I, I don't know what's happening. Like, it just feels like something is like, I, f- I feel like something's pulling on me. And she's like, it, it, someone is, she's like, that is, that is the devil. He knows that he's losing you to Jesus and he's doing, he's doing whatever he can to keep you. And, um, when after, right after she said that, like, it just, it just went away. Yeah. <sighs> And so I've, so I've, I've read the Bible for the first time in 2020, went front, front to back, which was awesome. Did it again last year. Now on trip number three through the Bible. So I am no expert whatsoever in, in this. I'm just soaking up as much as I can and trying to learn as much as I can. But I, how do I know I'm saved? I, I mean, well, number one, again, that's, that's God's word. You know, when, when you, pick up your cross, you turn away from your old life and you follow Jesus, you will get saved. I had to take responsibility for all of the evil I brought into my life like that. Until I did that, this wasn't going anywhere until I stopped pointing the finger of blame at other people and started blame pointing the finger back at me and what I was doing. When I started doing that, that's when things started to change. This old life I used to lead is gone. It is. If you sat down with the Neil of 2019 versus the Neil today, you wouldn't, you'd think it was two different people. Absolutely. I've got, like, I truly like that, that line of, I give you a new heart. Like it is so true. I've got a new heart with new desires. I I just, I don't know how to explain it, you know, but like, I try to, when I try to explain it to other people, it's just like, I don't, it's just a new heart. I can like, just feeling your, the way your, your heart is your, the way you think though, your facial expressions and all the, it's like, there's peace and understanding and like you relate to other people and just that love for others and willing the good of another and all that. I'm like, yeah, I totally feel all that. And I'm like, I can totally picture who you were in 2019. Like you would be 
you know, looking around, you'd be edgy. Yes, very much so. Like that was one of the things that I talked with Amy and I, when we went to counseling together after all this, you know, that was another thing that came up because she said, she told the counselor, like we have, you know, Neil's not, Neil's a terrible communicator, which is kind of funny considering I, I'm a communicator by yes. trade, <laughs> Yes, but I couldn't communicate to her, but our counselor's like, well, yeah, you know why? Because he has decades of lies in his head that he's trying to keep straight. And it's taking every amount of my brain power not to give those up. And it is so true. Like I was so worried about what I was going to say to Amy that I couldn't, I couldn't have a deep conversation with her because I, I was always thinking, am I going to say something that's going to unravel all these years of lies that I've been building up? And um, it's so true. And now, you know, we spent, so we spent that spring and summer of 2020 almost every night going on the back deck. And we bought those, that, those boxes of couples cards, or like you yeah. see these cards, it says like, what would you rather go on the beach or go on a mountain? You know, and just all, we, we went through like five boxes of those over the course of a couple of months, just trying to rebuild that trust, rebuild that connection and rebuild that intimacy. And um, it was, it was awesome. You know, we're going to church together now, which is incredible. Um, I've, I, I like to say I canceled my own cultural, canceled my culture before it, it came to cancel me. I got rid of everything in my life that I used to love the drinking, smoking pot. Yes. Yes. Um, hanging out with friends and leaving my wife home alone. Like I just, I, all of that is gone and I replaced it with the good stuff, the stuff that fills you up, which is reading the Bible, which is listening to online sermons, which is trying to fill myself up with as much God as I can't possibly can, because number one, I love it. And that is that it does fill my heart up. But it also, it leaves me absolutely no time to think about the sins either. Like it pushes them so far back. Like it's not, they don't even register uh, at times. Right. Like, right. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's amazing to to me to think about where we came. And I'll also say, I want to make this point a very important point. You know, when, when I was looking at pornography um, before I was saved, my sex life with my wife was almost non-existent. You know, it was, it was horrible because I was, I got to the point where I had number one, desensitized myself to just to sex in general and, and what it, what it brings. And I will say now that now that I've stopped looking at pornography and now that I, I look at my wife, the way that I used to look at all those other things, right. I see the beauty and the, the sexiness of my wife now, like our sex life is better than ever without question. It's, it's amazing. And you pour into your wife and direct all your energy towards her and block all that other stuff out. It makes a massive, massive difference. So I'm glad you drove that point home. I was going to ask you, is there anything else we should cover? (laughs) That was exactly what we should cover. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. Thank you, Neil. Yeah. So uh, how can guys connect with you? How can guys get a hold of the book? Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know if you have any programs or, you know, and, and again, you just two years ago flipped a switch. So like <laughs> you might not have any of that stuff. So well, yeah, so um, I'm still working on it, right? I'm still trying to figure out what I'm, what this calling is. I know I'm called to share my testimony. That was step one and, and, and let others know about what I went through. And so I, um, 
wrote a book about my experience called Unmasked. And um, you can find it on my website, neilgetslow.com. And there you can find out, learn more about me and my wife. Um, you can look at the book. And if you buy the book off my website, we're donating $5 to Run to Stop It, which is an organization nice. here in Kansas City that's fighting against sex trafficking uh, in the U.S. And um, I just started a podcast, actually, All right. uh, two weeks ago, two episodes in. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's called Unmasked. I know not necessarily very original, but um, want to bring people on and, and just kind of share, unmask their stories. Like there's just so many, like I'm not oh, the yeah. only one that's had a, a great story, right? Everybody, that every believer that's been touched oh, yeah. has a great story. And, um, and, and so it's going gonna, it's gonna to focus a lot on that, but it's also going to talk about mental health issues and, and things like that, because that is so important right now. I know people are struggling with, so they can connect to you through neilgetslow.com. Yeah. And there's a, there's a place on there. You can email me, um, on there if you want, or send me your email. And yeah, I, and if anyone that, um, is struggling out there, I'm happy to happy to connect with someone and help out. And, and that's, I think, yeah, that's what I want to, um, ultimately this, I want to do a full fledged ministry. Like I said, I, I don't know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> it's just so new, but I do want to, you know, there's a lot of shame that's involved when you are dealing with pornography and when you're dealing with, especially, and then if you're buying sex, like if you were a, a buyer, like it's just like, how, that, that is an, unta- like, I don't know how to explain this, but I want to help other men who are in the same position to know, like, yeah, we, it's a bad situation, but like it's, you, we can, you can survive. You can turn your life around. You don't have to be trapped in your shame anymore. There are ways, things you can do to turn your life around. And, and it, it starts with God and ask, getting God's forgiveness, getting God's help. And when, and he'll show like, like he did for me, God showed me the path to take, but I still had a choice. I didn't have to listen to him. I could have kept going, doing what I was doing, or I could have chosen to do it on my own. I had to follow the path he gave me. And when I started to follow the path, that's when he started to deliver. So I think that's the challenge for the week, maybe. Yeah. That's the challenge. It's pretty crystal clear. Ask, yeah. ask God, ask Christ, ask Jesus. Hey, where do you want me to go? I'm willing to follow. That's right. And some of you may say, well, he, he didn't speak to me that way. He doesn't well, keep asking the question. You'll get, you'll get a direction. You'll get a path. You'll get uh, something revealed to you. And you just got to trust that that process is going to happen. Those doors are going to open. You may not even realize that it's God opening a door, but it is a door that's opening. And I've had that, I've had that same conversation with myself a few times over the past couple of years. Like, am I doing the right thing? But I, but these new these opportunities come up and I walk through the door and that it's like, you just have to, you, you have to have faith to know that like, you have to take that step in faith. And God will reward it for taking that step. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being on this week. Yeah. Thank you for just being willing to be open and vulnerable. And then you wrote a dang book about it. So congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me. <laughs> I, I know I dominated the conversation here. No, so. no, no. That's the way it's supposed to be. And <laughs> oh, and, I, and then to have a, uh, a blessing of a wife, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I just, I don't have the quote in front of me. I think it's from Proverbs. It's, I know it's from Proverbs. It talks about 
treat your wife like a tr- the treasure that she is. Yes. Yep. And that's, yep. that is what, that is my, one of my number one <laughs> missions is to, to treat Amy like she is an absolute treasure. Absolutely. If you do that, your marriage will change and you will have a new wife. Like, yeah. And a new life. However, she will bloom and blossom and um, it just gets better. So yeah. Well, fantastic episode. Appreciate you greatly. And uh, guys jump over to his website, connect with Neil and uh, just glad that you're there showing people that there's hope. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.